Please turn with me now in your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. John's first epistle, chapter 2. And in a moment, we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 14 for our reading, while paying specific attention for our sermon on verses 12 13 and 14. And they're verses that very much give comfort to those who may otherwise be struggling. Any of the boys and girls who go to to school here, do any of you have a subject? Maybe it's maths, maybe it's English grammar, maybe it's a language, and you struggle with it. You find it very hard. Do any of you have a subject in school? You go, I cannot do this. And maybe in that subject, you have a good teacher. A good teacher who will come alongside you and will show you that it's normal to struggle. It's normal to struggle. Times tables. Do any of you people... Remember when you were younger, I still, I think we all still struggle with things we learned in school years ago. Division tables, maths, different things like that, things we once struggled with at the beginning. And perhaps we even still find some of these things hard to this very day. But what's nice about that teacher who will come alongside you and tell you it's okay because it's normal to struggle. You'll see other children in your class who are also struggling with the same subjects. And you go, oh, it's not just me. I'm not the strange one. We all struggle at different points. When I was young, there was many things when I was in my first few years of primary school I thought I cannot do. But I could. I just needed encouragement and perhaps a gentle push someone to remind me it's normal to struggle at the beginning but to not give up to keep going in our text we're going to be looking at from verses 12 to 14 there are three groups mentioned and the three groups are this little children fathers young men And this really is the range of all the different age groups that are within the church. Each group struggles in different ways. We're not all the same. None of us have exactly the same struggles. We're all different and we all go through different experiences in life. Even when we look like we may have it all together. Usually that's not the case. We all struggle In various different areas. And that includes myself. You might be in one of those groups. You might be in two of those groups. But you are in one of those groups. Some have little experience in life. That is little children. But if you have faith in Jesus Christ. If you have faith and you've looked to Jesus Christ and him alone. No matter how young you are. You are part of the church. Look to Jesus and to him alone. 
Some have more experience. And maybe you're here this morning, you're young, maybe in your 20s or 30s, and maybe you're frustrated with lack of progress. You thought at this stage of your life that life would be a lot more further on, your your spiritual walk would be a lot further on than it is right now. Maybe you're in your teenage years. Maybe you've just started working. Maybe you're just experiencing being a parent for the first time. All of us have different struggles that we face. Some have more experience. Maybe scars from those experiences. Many changes in life. Uh, Maybe more memories. We look at fathers in this text. All with experience. And in this text, what we're going to see is we all need to be reminded of the blessings that we have. That no matter the stage in life, we all need reminding. And though our struggles may not be the same, they will be unique to every single one of us. We will not be unique in one way. We all have things we struggle with, and no more so than our spiritual walk. We all need this reassurance. And that's our title for this morning, Reassuring reassuring the Struggling Christian. So let us read now, chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. Let us hear God's holy and infallible word. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says, he abides in him, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in you, true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. And may the Lord bless 
the reading of his words. Now the text we're going to be looking at here this morning is from verses 12 down to 14. Beginning with, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. In the previous verses before verse 12, John is really challenging the reader of this epistle. This letter written under the inspiration of the Spirit of Almighty God. Why? Why is he really pushing, probing, and challenging in the way he's doing this? He's doing this for one reason. There are people who think they are Christians. And they are not. And John wants those with false assurance to see that they do not belong to God. But God does not want, or John does not want a true believer to struggle with assurance. And neither does our God in heaven. If you're a true believer here this morning, verses 12 to 14 are for you. To assure your struggling hearts that you truly belong to God. He wants you, God wants you, to know that you know him. And this area is a a real challenge to people. We all have various struggles. We all have different personalities. We all come at things from different ways often. This is why there's so many different groups mentioned in our text. It's not all going to be the same for everybody. We all look at things in different ways. I even know with my own two daughters. They're identical twins. And they're different from each other. They're different. They look at things differently. They're they're their own unique persons. Our struggles will be unique. But the fact that we have struggles will not be unique to us. Our struggles may be unique. But the fact that we struggle is not. How do we face these struggles? Do we ignore them? Do we just try to forget that we have doubts in certain areas of our walk or do we face them and ask the difficult question am I really a Christian how do I know because dear friends there's going to come a time when we will breathe our last breath when our hearts will stop beating and one day we will stand before a holy and righteous God we will all stand before him and the question must be asked of ourselves today, not on that day, but on this day. How do I know that I know him? And it doesn't matter how young we are. It doesn't matter how old we are. We all need to ask ourselves this question. We all need this assurance of salvation. We all need this comfort to keep going in our walk. Because these these verses from John here are very comforting. They ought to comfort the true believer. They are healing balm. They are truly healing balm to the true believer that we may keep going. Our first point here this morning is reminding the Christian. Reminding the Christian. Having challenged those reading verses 3 to 11... Now he's coming with that healing balm. He doesn't want you, true believer, to doubt your salvation. 
He brings reassurance. And you probably noticed this throughout the letter. John brings these really challenging verses. And then immediately afterwards, he brings comfort. And here he's bringing comfort in verse 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now, this exact word, little children, is used... It's one Greek word. It's used at the beginning of chapter 2. My little children. But this is different here. The use of it is different here. John at the beginning of the chapter. My little children is referring to everybody. But here you can see he's saying little children. Fathers. Young men. He's dealing with different levels. Different groups. Different levels of experience. He wants to reassure every level of experience when it comes to those who have looked to Jesus and to him alone and to follow him. Who have looked to Jesus with the eye of faith. And the question is for all of us, no matter how young we are, we may be seven, eight years old. Have we looked with the eye of faith to Jesus Christ? Isaiah 45 verses 22 says this, look to me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Look to him and he will save you. But by looking to him, you also look away from your sin. You are forgiven if you have looked to him by faith. Now why does John do this? Why does he address this younger group as he does here in verse 12. Sometimes we can forget that children, younger people, also need reassurance, don't they? They need the same reassuring that we adults need, that we are forgiven of our sins. They are just as much part of this blessing of forgiveness should they look to Jesus Christ and to him alone. We must not think that they do not get blessed in the worship service, in coming to Jesus. We must, there's been a trend, you could say, in the church the last 50 to 100 years, seeing the children are not really part of the body. We see Baptist churches are growing. Independent churches are growing. But we, as Reformed Presbyterians, we need to believe what the Bible tells us, which is that he is a God unto us and unto our children. That is, the children included as well. The children of believers. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. You, for his name's sake. Boys and girls, there is never a too early stage to look to Jesus. There is never a time in your life when you do not need Jesus. You need Jesus, yes, to go to heaven. But you need Jesus at every moment of your life. It says this in Matthew 19, verses 13 to 15, and we quoted this last week as well from from Mark's gospel. But then the little children were brought to him, this is Jesus, that he might put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for such 
for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Children are blessed in the presence of Christ. We may not understand it, and even the disciples did not understand it. And speaking about infants, these are talking about very young infants. Even the disciples were thinking, keep them back. Jesus is too busy with the adult work. But all children of believers. Now, children of believers can depart through unbelief. But if you've looked to Jesus and to him alone, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Your sins are washed away. And all age groups are actually dealt with here in verses 12 to 14. I write to you little children, it says in verse 12. Verse 13, I write to you fathers. Also in verse 13, I write to you young men. I write to you little children. And this is almost repeated again in the next verse. All who look to Jesus. All who look to him. All who have this advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In verse 1 of chapter 2, it says this, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. All those who have this advocate, this representative before God, are forgiven of your sins. And we all need to be reminded, young and old, that you are forgiven of your sins. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ... Your sins have been washed clean. We were reminded of that picture, weren't we, last week in baptism. Baptism signifies and seals that washing of regeneration that the Spirit of God does in a soul. Washing us clean. Not just outward dirt, but the, the, the sins of the flesh. Young and old, we need to remind it. Because... Children may wonder, am I truly forgiven? If you look to Jesus, you are forgiven. But how about older people here? Some of us who maybe come to faith in later life may have guilt, may have things that they wish they never done in their, in their younger life. Wishing you could go back and change something. Your sins primarily are against God. And if you've trusted in Jesus, forsaken your sin, you are forgiven too. Because your sins are forgiven you. Why? Why are we forgiven? Why are all forgiven who look to Jesus Christ? Is it the strength of our faith? Not at all. Is it our works? Not at all. Is it our record of church attendance? And good deeds, not at all. Why? It's for his name's sake. Not for our name's sake, otherwise we would be in trouble. It's for his name's sake. It's all because of Christ. And no matter the size of your faith, it may be the size of a mustard seed. It may be the tiniest amount of faith. But if you are clinging to Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Don't we need reminding of that? That your sins have been washed clean. That those things that the devil will remind you of, of those things that you did in the past. No, dear friends, if you've gone to Christ seeking forgiveness for your sin, he has forgiven you. You have a saving relationship with Christ. Guilt, dear friends, it is washed away. David saw this in Psalm 51. 
Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And David had sinned against other people as well. If you come to Christ, there is forgiveness. There is cleansing. So number one, we looked at reminding the Christian. Reminding the Christian. Now we're going to look at number two, refreshing the Christian. Refreshing the Christian. As we travel away on our journey toward our heavenly home, our, our celestial city, if you've ever read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, it's a wonderful picture of the gospel. Fleeing from the city of destruction. Seeing what will happen if you remain in that city if you remain in your sin no 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 you're fleeing you're leaving all behind and you're looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of your faith and as you travel along that journey you've left behind a city of destruction there's still a wilderness ahead before you get to that perfect city that heavenly Jerusalem there is a difficult journey ahead And when you travel along that journey in that wilderness, it will be dry, it will be difficult, and it will be barren. Because why? We're in the valley of the shadow of death as we read earlier in Psalm 23. And in that valley, we need water, we need refreshment, and we need Christ. And we need Christ and his benefits applied By faith, it says in verse 13, I write to you fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children, because you have known the father. It says in Isaiah 44 verse 3, for I will pour water on him who is thirsty. Thirsty. And floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants. And my blessing on your offspring. It's not just that we need to be reminded of these things. Because we do forget these things, don't we? As The longer we're Christians, often we can forget the blessings and the benefits of being a Christian. And how wonderful that is. But we need to be refreshed. If we're making a long journey, we need refreshment. And the refreshment is this. You have known him who is from the beginning. And not only that, you have overcome the wicked one. You have that victory in Jesus Christ. It is a hard journey. And along that journey, we need refreshment. The longer you go, the more water you will need. If you ever do a marathon, you need more water than if you just walk to the shops. We need more of Christ as we go along our journey. Why is this important for fathers? Now, it's not just earthly fathers we're speaking of here. This is basically those with more experience. And that could be in life or that could be spiritual life. But those who have seen many changes in their life. Think about the reassurances given here. Because you have known him who is from the beginning. And the longer we've been on this earth, the more changes we have seen. The more variety of changes. The more experience. The more things that we've been tested and molded by. 
And we live in a world that is rapidly changing, isn't it? There are things that we would have never dreamt would happen back in the 90s. Remember, back in the 90s, most people didn't have computers. It was a strange thing to even have a computer in your house. Now everybody's got a computer, basically, in their pocket. The world is changing so much, and it's hard. I'm not, even, I'm not yet 40, but I'm finding it hard, all the changes in the world, and I've, I've stopped trying to keep up with technology and everything else. But the changes are hard the longer you're on this earth, aren't they? And what I, I don't know if I'm like anyone else here, but the longer you're on this earth, the more we crave for something that doesn't change, don't we? Something that's an anchor. When you see all the change around you, you want that which does not change, that foundation that will never, ever go away. We as a church, as those who are bound together with oaths and vows before God, that's the terms of membership people promise when they come into membership, trusting the one, we trust that one who doesn't change. Isn't that wonderful? And the longer we've been on this earth, the more wonderful that is. Because you see so many things changing. You see so many hard things to deal with. Uh, Some of us, not many of us anymore, remember the Second World War. But dear friends, God was there prior to the Second World War. Actually, God was there prior to Creation Week. He was there prior to, in the beginning, was the Word. The one who does not change from everlasting to everlasting. And isn't that refreshing? Isn't that like water on a thirsty day? To hear that. He never changes. Because on our journey, we can become weary. We can become weary as we travel. And as we get weary... Let us also think as well of those spoken about in, in, in verse 13. I write to you young men because you've overcome the wicked one. That brings us to our third point now, which is refocusing the Christian. Refocusing the Christian. So reminding, refreshing, refocusing the Christian. Not always, but who, are, who is the group who most often probably will need to be refocused on what are the most important things to deal with? Often when we're young. Often when we're just, we're beginning to have young adults, I'm speaking about now, responsibilities for the first time. And it's difficult. It's difficult being a parent for the first time. It's difficult being a boss in your company for the first time. There's lots of things to learn. And you can become weary. But we need to keep reminding ourselves. I write to you young men. Because you have overcome the wicked one. We may be weary in that journey. But the victory is already assured. If you knew. What the score was. Before you went into a match. And you knew you would win. You do not feel the tiredness do you? If you're playing a football match. Or a rugby match or something like that. We need refreshment, or else we can lose our focus. 
Because we can't fight this battle, whether we're young, young adults, or whatever the case may be, in our own strength. We cannot. And this is reminding us not to do this. Because, you know, before parents, and I'll I'll admit to this as well, before parents, parenting looks easy until you do it. Um, You know, before you're the boss in the company, it looks easy. I could do a better job. And then you get in there and go, that's hard. Our strength is not enough, especially in this battle that we're facing. We're fighting against the wicked one. And in our own strength, we will lose. It's not even a question. But in Christ... In Christ, it says at the end of 14, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. It brings further intensity to this that he's emphasizing to young men or young women even. If we, if we trust in our own strength, we will fall down because we don't have the strength. But you need the strength to get back up. Not to trust in your own strength once again. Not at all. But God's. God's strength. Because you are strong. Not in yourself. But in Christ. Why? And the word of God abides in you. If the word of God abides in you. Greater is he that is in you. Than he who is in the world. Isn't that wonderful refreshing? And to refocus our attention on where Our focus needs to be. The world wants our attention. The world wants to, and it has more technological weapons at its disposal to to distract us, to make us despondent, to make us want to give up. But we must keep our focus on where the true power lies. This battle is spiritual. And often when we say spiritual, we may think those those weapons are weaker. They are not. They are more powerful because they are spiritual. They are more powerful than the most powerful nuclear weapons in the world. It says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. Finally, my brethren, Paul writes, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. That's not our main danger in this world. It's a spiritual battle. And we can only be able to withstand it. And overcome the wicked one. By putting on the whole armor of God. That we may be able to withstand in the evil day. Do not fight. Dear friends. Do not fight this This battle with the world's weapons. Not at all. Do not fight it with weak and inferior weapons. Imagine if there was a war taking place today. And you were coming out charging the enemy. But you were on horseback. 
Somebody told you somewhere, you know, cavalry always win the day. Well, you'd be laughed at. You're going to be, you're up against planes, you're up against all sorts of powerful weapons. Well, dear friends, if we come with the world's weapons in this battle, it's far weaker than that. It's only in Christ in his power that we can face this world. It's only in Christ in your daily job that you can face the challenges that you face. You might have co-workers, people you're working with, who are not believers. It's only in Jesus Christ and reminding yourself of being refocused and refreshed in this knowledge because you have overcome the wicked one. And how? Because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. It's already a fact. It's a certainty. It's not our philosophy of life. It's God's truth. God's weapons. God's, and our dependence on him. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 4 to 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In Joshua chapter 6, when they went around Jericho, they went around a number of times. And no doubt the people of Jericho, that stronghold, would have thought, oh, this is ridiculous, what are they doing? But they were trusting in what God had told them to do. And that brought down, what did it bring down? A mighty stronghold. Brought every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And these weapons today may not seem very impressive to the world. They won't seem impressive to the world at all. They won't even seem impressive to modern, popular church culture. These weapons are prayer. These weapons are worship. These weapons are singing of psalms and praise to God. These weapons are preaching. These weapons is the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. Is Christ your strength? And I speak to all groups now. Little children, young men, fathers. Everybody is Christ your strength. But if you have drifted from him, if your focus has gone away from him, come back to him. I don't even mean church attendance at this point. Have you, is your focus on Christ on a daily basis? So that you read his word, thinking about his word throughout the day, and also praying and depending upon him. Our final point now, number four, is this. Recognizing you are a Christian. Recognizing you are a Christian. So reminding the Christian, refreshing the Christian, refocusing the Christian, and now recognizing you are a Christian. Why does John write this? And he repeats this a few times, doesn't he? It's interesting the way he writes this. John, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he writes this, I write to you, little children. I write to you, fathers. And then verse 13, again, I write to you. And he he says this a couple of times. Then at the end of verse 14, he speaks almost in past tense. I have written to you. Almost to make it more intense. Young men, 
And beginning of verse 14 as well, I've written to you fathers. He says earlier in this letter why he is written. He says in chapter 1 verse 4, remind ourselves, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And also in verse In chapter 2, verse 1, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. All of these things are in view. Assurance of salvation. The first one is joy. There's greater joy the more you know that you know him. The, The more that the devil's darts and methods of making you doubt that you belong to God, they don't work. Because you're trusting more and more in him. But also, John writes, that you do not sin because your sin will make you struggle with assurance. It will rob you of that joy. It will rob you of that peace. You may still be a Christian. And then I write to you because, because, reminding of these things, bringing these things before you, The true believer, and I say the true believer, is refreshed, refocused, and also reminded of what he has in Jesus Christ. And dear friends, this this is for those who are true believers in Jesus Christ. It is for those, verses 3 to 5 of chapter 2, who love God's law. Verses 9 to 11. Those who love the brothers in Jesus Christ. Those are the ones whom this refreshment is coming. And he writes to you. If that describes you here this morning. He writes to you to remind you. So that when you have that final heartbeat. When you breathe your last. And when you leave behind this world. That you may today have confidence That to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Without assurance of salvation, you can't say that. Paul, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, had assurance of salvation. How else could he have spoken in such terms that to die is gain? If you're not sure, you cannot have that confidence at all. And dear friends, I pray that the true believer who loves the law of God, who loves his brother in Christ, that you this morning recognize you are a Christian, that these promises are yours, that you are forgiven in Jesus Christ, that you have known him who is from the beginning, and that you have overcome the wicked one for his name's sake, and that these things are true. The word of God abides in you. The word of God abides in you, strengthens you. Young people who are here, you might say, how do I know that I'm a Christian? The boys and girls, how do I know that I'm a Christian? Do you love the sound of the shepherd's voice? Do you love him? And this is as much a test for the young child as it is for the older person. Do you love his voice? And if you love his voice, God has done a work in your heart. It's only by that work that any of us can love the voice of the shepherd. Do you struggle in your walk? Join the club. 
All of us have areas we struggle with. The question is not, do you struggle? It's just a question of where. Even those who are in church offices struggle in various different places. But what do we do with those struggles is the question. What do we do with that? Do we go to the word and prayer seeking comfort? Comfort. This verse is about comfort. This verse is about reminding. This verse, these verses are about refocusing. And these verses are about recognizing that you belong to God. And in his house you will dwell forever and ever. And with your mind and your affections refocused. What can the devil do? What can he do to make you doubt that you truly belong to him? Are you forgiven, dear friend? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Is the, has the blood of Jesus Christ washed you clean from all sin? Amen.